0: Uh, today's Father's Day Tomorrow's the longest day of the year what was yesterday do you remember what yesterday was what Juneteenth which is actually right June 19th right today on our calendar 1865 that uh, is celebrated when federal troops arrived in Galveston Texas to take control of the state and ensure on that day that's the beginning to ensure that all enslaved people would be free now two and a half years ago two and a half years before that date was the emancipation proclamation when uh, Abraham Lincoln basically signed into a a declaration basically said January 1st 1863 he said that for the slaves in the Confederacy all of them shall be then thenceforth and forever free but that was merely a declaration and of course uh, that was ignored by the states in the Confederacy and that's of course the reason why we had the the Civil War But as the battle went on, was the Civil War, Um, really no slaves were really liberated on that day when Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But it was two and a half years later, when uh, after the Confederate General Robert Lee surrendered, that it actually did happen. And a little quiz who's this man right here? Do you guys know? Not Stonewall Jackson. I know some of you men are trying to get a beard like that. Um, maybe Adam Brown is the closest he's going to get a beard uh, like that. This is General Gordon Granger. He's the one who came and stood on the soil in Galveston, Texas. And he read from General Orders Number 3, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And that was such a momentous occasion that a year later, some of the freedmen, the freed slaves saw that as such a, a glorious time that they gathered on June 19th, 1866 for, an, for a celebration. They, they called it the Jubilee Day, right? The day Numbers 25 when all the, the slaves are set free. And it's been an annual celebration in our country ever since. It began in Texas and was every year in Texas. And then as people, freed slaves, moved out of Texas to other places, this, this holiday, the celebration just began to be celebrated in other places. And then pretty soon it found its way to the president's desk, which was just yesterday. Or I'm, I'm sorry, this is past Thursday. This day is now officially identified. Yesterday, Juneteenth, National Independence Day. So I've got this vision for longest day of the year, that we will all gather here, and then as people kind of move away from Rock Valley Bible Church, they'll keep that tradition and keep celebrating the longest day of the year, and, and then it'll pretty soon be all over the United States, and someday maybe it'll find its way on the present desk. So, that's my, so far it's not gone very far, but we, it's a tradition at Rock Valley Bible Church. We do that. Well, I say all that about June 19th, Juneteenth, because of the ways in which it is so parallel with our texts today. Our text this morning in Acts chapter 10, think about it, tells a story of a racially divided culture whose unity was promised long before, whose unity was purchased at the cross of Christ, yet those who have been declared free in the gospel had not fully experienced it yet because the news had not yet reached them with the authority to indeed set them free. It, it, It took God's working through a prejudiced apostle to go to the Gentiles on their soil to tell them of their freedom in Christ Jesus. Do you see the parallels of that? Now this is no surprise. I mean often in the Old Testament there were prophecies of how the Gentiles would come among the people of God as genuine worshippers of him and there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament we can't even Mention all of them today. There are far too many to quote, but I just quote a few for you. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. In that day, that is the day of the Messiah, in that day when the Messiah comes, right, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That is speaking of the time when the Messiah comes, and the nations come, inquire of the Messiah, and find the rest in the Lord. Another one Psalm 117 verse 1 Paul quotes this when he's trying to argue the salvation the inclusion of the gentiles in salvation Psalm 117 verse 1 Praise the Lord all nations extol him all peoples that's a command of the Lord for all peoples to worship the Lord and it's a, it's a subtle promise and prophecy that all nations and all peoples not just Jews would come and worship the Lord and these are but two of many Old Testament Prophecies that speak about the Gentiles coming in. Moses addressed it on several occasions when he talks about the foreigner coming in and wanting to offer sacrifice. How do you do that? Or the foreigner coming in and wanting to celebrate the Passover. He explains that in in Numbers in Exodus chapter twelve and Numbers chapter fifteen. David prophesies in Psalm twenty two and Psalm eighty six about how all the earth will turn to the Lord. Not just Jews, all the earth. Solomon in his prayer of dedication for the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 even speaks about the Gentiles coming to worship Israel, this glorious place. Isaiah and Daniel, Hosea and Amos all prophesy of the Gentiles coming to serve the Lord. Even Jesus himself, Matthew 8 verse 11 prophesied of the day when many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And all of these prophecies and all these promises really stem from the greatest promise in all the scripture. It's God coming with grace to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 and he speaks about Abraham. I'll make him a great nation. He's going to bless those who bless you. Make his name great. He says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here it is, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul picks this up in Galatians 3 and says that, that God preached the gospel beforehand In Genesis 12, 3, promising that in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed in him. But when God made this promise in Genesis 12, it was just that. It was just a promise. It it was just a covenant. But as history unfolded, right, Jesus became the sacrifice to bring both Jews and Gentiles into that kingdom so that any who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. But, But here's the key, as we've been learning in the book of Acts, is that salvation goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, and so far as we've worked our way through the Book of Acts, we've seen right how, how salvation is to the Jews. First couple chapters of uh, Acts, we, we've got the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. And Acts two, three, four, five, we see Peter preaching and bringing Jews in Jerusalem into this massive church, several thousand people into this church, where they understood and embraced and experienced forgiveness of sins through faith alone in Christ, and the church was born. But pretty soon then, with the stoning of Stephen, the, the church in chap- Acts chapter 7, the church was scattered to Judea in the south and Samaria in the north. And, and we even see the gospel then going up to Damascus, right, as Paul, was, was on, Saul was on his way there when he was converted in Acts chapter 9. And so we see the gospel starting to spread out. But at this point, it's primarily 99.99% still, um, still Jewish. Though there are some Samaritans, they're, they're half-Jews, but not the Gentiles. There were some Gentiles. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, Aeneas in Acts chapter 9, but these are only a few. Predominantly, it's to the, Gentile, to the Jews, but now here in chapter 10, right, we change, and it's going to be the push of the gospel to the Gentiles. It's, it's just really the, the door that opens to the Gentiles, that, that really opens wide, and pretty soon the floodgates are going to f- pour forth, and we're going to see that. Uh, Throughout our book of Acts now, I just say this though the process of the gospel going to Gentiles wasn't easy In order to do so God had to overcome racial tensions between Jews and Gentiles Had to overcome prejudices of Peter the other Apostles and all the Jews So so God does this in a miraculous way with an angelic visit and with visions And really it had to be that way Peter was so ingrained in his in his racial prejudice against the Gentiles because of his culture, that it took a miracle to change him and to change his ways. And the story of how it took place in Acts 10 is just like Juneteenth. It's the day in Acts 10 when the message of freedom of sins comes to the Gentiles from Peter, a man with authority from Jerusalem. Just like on Juneteenth, Juneteenth, 1865, freedom proclaimed to the slaves by General Granger, a man of authority from the Union Army. It comes with authority. And this proclamation, the blessing began with Abraham, like Abraham Lincoln, who just made this proclamation, and you, all the families of the earth, be blessed. I, I declare all slaves free, but they're not. And then it comes, right, when, when Christ then won the victory at the cross of Christ. It's like winning the Civil War, but, but yet still it's, it's not experienced yet by the Gentiles until Peter comes onto Gentile soil proclaims a message of salvation to the Gentiles just like General Granger did on Texas soil proclaiming freedom to slaves and everything wasn't solved on June nineteenth, 1865 and, and, and everything wasn't solved in one chapter in Acts chapter 10 we see Acts chapter 11 right racial tension stilling arising and still they're grappling really the gospel to the Gentiles and wrestling with that in Acts chapter 15 and we're gonna see in fact uh, and Antioch, Acts chapter 13, really interesting that, that when Paul goes to the synagogue, he proclaims Jesus the Messiah. All the Jews are super interested in Jesus and hearing more. And then the next day, nearly the whole town gathered, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole town gathered together. When the Jews saw the Gentiles coming in, they were envious and began to turn against Paul, and the racial tension erupted. I mean, so, so bad that, that Paul even said, Well, I'm turning from you Jews to the Gentiles because God has set us for a light for the Gentiles. I mean, that's how bad it was. The issue of the salvation of the Gentiles was detested by the Jews. It's often the case, when Paul's on his missionary journey, he goes to the synagogue, right, and he starts preaching there, and, and then the Gentiles, and the Gentiles start coming in, the, the synagogue's turning against them, and they go goes to the next city, and Jews hear what Paul's still about, and so Jews are coming here, because they hated the fact that the Gentiles are going to be involved with the Jewish Messiah. And if you think that uh, it's just even in the book of Acts, I mean, Jesus, when he first preached the gospel back in Nazareth, everything was going well until he preached about God's love for the Gentiles. And that's when they they kicked him out of the city and they tried to kill Jesus in his first public sermon. The Jews have always had this racial animosity uh, towards the Gentiles. And, And Paul fought hard for the church to be racially reconciled. If you read through, Romans, Romans chapter 11. He's arguing the Gentile inclusion into the covenant. And go some of these passages, Old Testament passages, like I I quoted to you, Isaiah 11 and and Psalm 117. And he's just quoting these to demonstrate that God has always prophesied his love for the Gentiles to bring them in. And Paul pleads with the churches to be united, dwelling together in unity, which is the issue of the book of Ephesians. You, You got Jews and Greeks, one new man coming together united in the church. And I say, like America, Juneteenth didn't solve our racial problems. They're still alive and well in our society today. But it was a step in the right direction. And really, it's a step to demonstrate that America, with democracy and freedom, is designed right, to lift others up to overcome social inequalities, not designed to suppress others. Catch that. Juneteenth is an example of how our society is not designed to suppress others, but it's merely an example of that, and in that we can rejoice. But just like Acts 10 didn't solve the racial problems in the early church, Juneteenth didn't solve all racial problems. We've spent many years working on that issue, and we struggle today, especially this past year has been a big struggle. We have much to learn, though, from the book of Acts in this struggle. My my message this morning is entitled Gentile Day. It's the day when the freedom from sin was proclaimed to the Gentiles. So with that, it's a long introduction. I want you to open your Bibles if you have them or turn them on to Acts chapter 10. I want to read for you our text, 33 verses. And it's a lot bigger than I normally get through, but I think we'll get through it today. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, we read this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. and the voice came to him a second time what God has made clean do not call common this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean behold the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon who's called Peter was lodging there And while Peter was pondering the vision the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house, and to hear what you have to say so invited them to be his guests and the next day he rose and went away with them to some of the brothers from joppa accompanied him and on the following day they entered caesarea cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives his close friends when peter entered cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him but peter lifted him up saying stand up i too am a man And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, I asked them why you sent for me. And I can't leave it there. i got to read the rest of the story. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. Catch that, the prophets are bearing witness. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is the day when the gospel came to the Gentiles in full force with full authority of apostolic authority from Jerusalem. And for my message this morning, I simply want to walk us together through this great story and and perhaps see things we haven't seen before, perhaps be encouraged by all that God did to ensure that Gentile Day would take place. First point is this. Cornelius sees an angel. In in verse 1, we meet this Cornelius, Verse 1 tells us who he is and, and where he lives, what he does. At Caesarea, there's a, a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. So, Cornelius, he lives in Caesarea. It's a, a Roman city by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Cornelius was a centurion, that is, a Roman military leader, commander of a hundred men. And as such, he was certainly an honorable man, as military men often are, deserving of respect and honor. Uh, but even here it says he, of the italian cohort like he is is from the motherland or has tight connections with the motherland back in rome being a part of that cohort and, and verse 1 just describes his occupation verse 2 though describes his spirituality it says in verse 2 that cornelius was a devout man who feared god with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to god cornelius was a god-fearing man who prayed to God was generous towards the Jewish people. He, he may have been like the centurion in Luke chapter seven. Maybe you remember that story where his servant, the centurion's servant was, was sick and, 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 and they came and asked Jesus to go and the Jews were like encouraging Jesus, speaking about how he loved the nation of Israel, how this centurion even built the synagogue for the Jews, how he's, he's worthy, Jesus, of you visiting him. And perhaps this man as well, He gave much to the Jews. We don't know what he did regarding the synagogue, but he was excluded from much of the religious life of the synagogue, because that's how it was. That was the racial tension. I mean, so if we think of the 1960s, where you had black water fountains and white water fountains, this was the case, where the Jews would gather together in the synagogues, and as Jews only, Gentiles couldn't come. It'd be like Rock Valley Bible Church that we would be here, and and that we could come and and worship, and we could uh, we could be here. But that man who prayed for Rock Valley Bible Church, who gave great financial sums to Rock Valley Bible Church to help us with our our financial needs, because of his ethnic origin, was unable to enter. No Gentiles allowed. And he would be on the outside. That's Cornelius. He was a God-fearer, and that didn't inhibit him. He still had a heart for God. He still was working that. One day he had an experience that changed his life. It happened to him while he was praying at the ninth hour, which is the hour of prayer. We read this. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, "Cornelius, now it's not every day that you pray and you see an angel." That would instill fear in any of us to see this angel. It didn't Cornelius as well. we see in verse four. It says, "And he stared at him in terror and said, "What is it, Lord?" Like you didn't know like what this angel was, his bright clothing. Is what uh, Cornelius says in uh, chapter uh, verse thirty-one. In verse thirty, he says he's in bright clothing. He's just kind of shocked. And just, what? What is it? Then the angel responded by commending him and commanding him. He commends him for his worship. Verse four. He said to him, "Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God." So just even like the Old Testament gives the imagery of incense going up before God. So there's the imagery that just praying before God and even giving before God is an act of worship as he supported the Jews. And God heard his prayers. God saw his generosity. He was to be commended. And then he was commanded in verse 5. He said, send now men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Real simple instruction, especially for a military man. Here's your military mission, right? It's really simple. You send some men, go to Joppa, find a man named Simon, a.k.a. Peter. And you'll find him in a house of another Simon. It's a house by the sea, and this Simon is a tanner. And bring him back alive was the idea here. Now, it's not bring him back captive alive. It's going to bring him back of his own volition because he's got a message to tell us. But that's the idea. And so Cornelius dispatched the man just as soon as the angel left. Verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Right? So there's one scene. movie then clicks or picture clicks, play, play clicks story to another scene. And in this scene now we, we go to Joppa, where Peter is. It says, the next day, right, as these men are, are traveling along, as they were journeying, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And here we're going to see my second point here this morning is Peter sees a vision. Cornelius sees an angel. Peter sees a vision. And and here was the Jewish day begins at sun up at 6 a.m. The sixth hour, it's high noon. Peter goes to the, the housetop because it's a private place for him to be alone with God. And then Peter has an experience that changes his life forever. Verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they're preparing it, he fell into a trance. So he's hungry. He uh, announced that he was hungry. And uh, the people, servants, were helping him. Uh, were, were preparing some food. And during that time, he's praying. He falls into a trance. So I'm like a, an intense daydream. Circumstances suspend. You know, the circumstances in your life kind of suspend. In your conscience, but only in your mind. And then he sees, as a, a child view, drew this little object here, right, because like a sheet, he saw verse 11, saw in the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down the four corners of the earth, Peter's hungry, he's thinking about food and a vision, right, I think this giant tablecloth is coming down, all ready for him, and and the voice came to him, verse 13, and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right, and they had all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air, and And and, and being a hungry man, all those things to eat, only here's the thing, is that the animals upon the sheet were unclean to him, or at least many of them were. And and, and being a kosher Jew his entire life, Peter refused. He he had never eaten pork in his life, not even a little bit. He had never had rabbit. How many of you had a rabbit? It tastes like chicken, right? He'd never had bear. How many of you had bear? Andy, good, Gary. I've never had bear. Lobster or crow. He never had all those things. How many of you have eaten crow? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He'd never eaten those things. But he was told to kill and eat. Peter's response, verse 14, is totally reasonable. Totally reasonable. He says, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. I mean, it's totally true. These these foods would not even be a temptation to him. Growing up in the Hebrew culture, he knew how God had commanded the Jewish people what to eat, what not to eat. Leviticus 11, you can read all about that. God was doing that so the people of Israel would live differently than the pagan nations to teach them about what it means to be clean and unclean. you got unclean animals, and you have clean animals, what it means to worship the Lord then in, in cleanness and purity. He says, I'm not going to do that. It wasn't like this sinful temptation that he was ever ever tempted to. It just wasn't around. It was like a non-negotiable in the culture. Super easy to follow that. He was told to eat, says, no way. In the vision, the voice didn't let up. It came a second time. Verse 15. The voice came to him again a second time. Peter, arise, kill and eat. And he refused. and, And the voice came, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter told, right, you kill and eat. No, by no means. Listen, what God has called clean, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter refuses. Now, in contrast to Cornelius, right, when he saw the angel, he quickly obeyed. When Peter saw a vision, he refused to obey. Totally, totally understandable for a Jew to act that way. In fact, also, I'm, I'm thinking about if you're in a trance, how are you going to eat anyway? You know, it's only in this vision is he going to eat. I, I don't know, but I just, I just say that I'm not faulting Peter at all because lifelong habits and lifelong worldviews are difficult to change. That's why it takes generations for racial change, for racial harmony to take place. And for Peter, right, he wasn't going to be just changed in a moment. It, it's going to take more time. It's going to take divine intervention. In fact, even we're going to see that here things are going well and he seems to be transformed, but later Paul rebukes him in Galatians chapter 2 that he, he went back to his Jewish ways. It was a struggle of his whole life. So he dealt with the prejudice of Jews and Gentiles and against them. This message, though, would ring in Peter's ear What God has made clean, do not call common. What, what does that mean? What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. I mean, that's the whole point of Acts chapter 10 here. What God has made clean, do not call common. It's not at all clear, though, what it was meant for Peter. Right? What God has called clean, do not call common. And maybe for some of us, it's difficult to understand what that means for us too. What God has made clean, do not call common. So Peter then ponders this vision. Look at verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision meant, they had seen might mean, right, going over this phrase, what God has called clean, do not call common, he's perplexed. Behold, right at that moment, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and they called out and asked whether Simon who's called Peter was lodging there. Right? So they're coming to the house. They see Tanner, like right? they, they've asked around. They said, Who is this Simon? Who's the Tanner? He's by the sea. Is the, that's his house? Yeah, so they, they get there and they say, Hello! Is Peter here? Simon who's called Peter, is he here? Right? And they're making this ruckus and they're trying to call out and see if indeed he was there. So right when the scenes come together, the men of Cornelius arriving at at Peter's house. And and they arrive at the very moment where Peter is perplexed by this vision and trying to understand these things. The timing couldn't have been better. Because the timing was divine. And even it says, right, verse 19, And while Peter was pondering the vision... He hears these men and the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for I have sent them. Here's the Lord guiding Peter into understanding this vision. Peter didn't quite understand this vision and Peter even at this point isn't given an explanation. He's not said, oh, here's what it means, right? What I've called common, do not call unclean. He's like, what what does that mean? These people come up. He just says, you just go with them. So he's kind of like leading Peter along so he might understand by experience what what it means. And Peter, like Cornelius, did the easy thing to to send them, and he goes to Caesarea. It was far easier for him, for Peter, to walk the road from Joppa to Caesarea than it was for him to eat unclean food. This was a much easier thing for him to do. Far easier to take a few days to be with these men than it was to take a few moments and put the, the food into his mouth. And so we see that, my fourth point, Peter goes to Caesarea. First of all, though, before he goes, he receives them as his guest. Verse 21, Peter went down for the men. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. What, what's the reason you're coming? And then so they explained it. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter's like, thinking about what god has called clean do not call common and then these gentiles these common people are coming he then welcomes them into his house um, we even see that he invited them in as guests and i'm sure then as they were his guests in his house the evening was spent marveling at the wondrous working wondrous working of god that, that the angel's appearance to cornelius coincided perfectly with peter's vision and they would have heard what these men know about Cornelius and how this vision, how, how it came place, right? This angelic vision. Now, when was that again? Oh, it was two days before. And he sent it, and, and right as you came here, my, I fell into this trance and I heard, and that's right when you came knocking at the door. And, and the timing's surely not lost on Peter and all the men of Caesarea, and I'm sure they were excited about it. Then they retired for the evening. And verse 23 tells us that the next day he rose And went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So let's picture the scene, right? you got three Roman soldiers having come to Joppa. Peter, a Jew, grabbed a few of his Jewish-believing friends, and they're walking north by the sea. So it's an entourage of three, three Gentiles, and depending on how many Peter brought, just a few of them, maybe four, maybe a group of six or seven, and they're walking together on that road up to Joppa right there by the sea. Traveling along, you just kind of picture, I'm not sure, it's a scene you see every day, of this mixed group of men with the racial tension walking together. The Jews hated the Romans, especially Roman soldiers, because they were emblematic of all the suppression of the Jewish people. So why would you associate yourself with, with Roman soldiers? It doesn't really make sense. Verse 24 then brings us back to Caesarea. As these are kind of, so we got got Caesarea first, and we get Joppa, and then they're leaving, and now we're back in Caesarea. And we find there, verse 24, the following day uh, they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his friends and close close relatives. So Cornelius has been busy over these past few days as he sent these men off to find Peter, making preparation, anticipating for him coming. Uh, He invited his relatives, he invited his friends to join him in meeting with, with Peter. And Cornelius knew that, that Peter had this message that, that he had from the Lord, and he wanted all of his close friends and all of his social circle to hear what this Jewish man would tell them. But he never even heard of Peter. He didn't really know where he was. He just knows that this Jewish man's going to come, and he's going to speak to you a message. And so it all comes together right here in 25. My, my last point this morning is Peter meets Cornelius. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, for I too am a man. Now on the one hand, this shows the incredible devotion of Cornelius. That, that he was so encouraged by this, the coming of this man. And, and it, it just even as the angel then announced, Go get this guy. Like, like he, didn't, he, he just was like so enthralled, this guy would come to his house. He bowed down to worship him. Now, on, the, on the other hand, though, it shows the ignorance of Cornelius. Peter's not this, this divine being. Peter's just a man, and he, he corrects him. He's not worthy of worship like this. No man is worthy of worship like this. The popes of our day have lessons to be learned because they receive worship like this, where their first pope refused worship like this. I digress. Anyway, the story continues in verse 27. As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Now, we don't know how many people were we're gathered in the home of Cornelius but you can consider how a families in those days mostly remained in their hometown they didn't do like what happens in in Rockford we have brain drain where kids go away to college in some far off city and then they they stay out there and they never come back no they they would learn their father's trade and, and they would be there and they would be with the family and the family would would be together and so you'd have the family that supported itself and then when you consider the size of the social circle of Cornelius a commander of a 100 men he had a pretty big social, social structure there around him. And so, I don't know, 50, 75, maybe 100 people came and were assembled when Peter walked in the door. Because Cornelius calculated out okay, so like a day and a half walk there, and there's some time of transition. A day and a half walk back is going to be like four, three, four days. And we got to be ready when Peter comes back to hear this message. And, and then there was this public conversation in verse 28. So Peter's standing there in, in, in front of everybody. And so he's just kind of like he's, he's walking in the door and he's like, Oh, you yourselves, trying to explain the situation, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone from a, a foreign nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So he's just kind of setting the stage for this for this entire meeting that they're having. He says, It's unlawful for me to be here. But, but I had this vision from God that, that said, Peter, you, you need to go. I said, but God, I don't fraternize with Gentiles. That's just not what I'm supposed to do. But God said, do not call any person common or unclean. And so I obeyed the heavenly vision. And I came, and I'm here, and I'm not sure what's going on. Will, will you tell me? Why have you sent for me? And Cornelius, in the story, right, responds, and he tells the whole crowd, About this story that's been told over and over and over again. He says, Four days ago, uh, about this hour, I was praying in my house, the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in white clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and Peter, you've been kind enough to come. Now, and I love this picture of worship, we are all here in the presence of God. To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Is that not eagerness? In verse 33. He tells a story and then says. Okay well I sent for you. But now right. We are all here. We're all here. We're all ready. And, and I didn't. When I sent. I didn't even know if you exist. I didn't even know who the tanner by the sea was. But I sent. These, these centurion came. They found you exactly. And now we are all ears. We are ready for your message. So Peter you just speak it. And we will submit and obey and believe. And with that, then Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And for the first time in human history, he articulates that the Messiah is for every man, right? The, the clean and the unclean, the Jew and the Gentile, and that everyone who fears the Lord is justified in his sight. And concluding here in verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes, In him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And it's a day we ought to to really celebrate, right? It's a day where freedom was proclaimed to the Gentiles. And and this is when I think about application. Certainly the application is for you all, right? Do you believe, right? Do you trust in Christ? Are you receiving forgiveness of sins through your faith in his name? Because that's exactly what the message is everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins through his name and it's interesting he's going to talk peter's going to talk about later that i just was introducing my sermon and and i was midway through my sermon and then the holy spirit fell upon all who believed the word and, and like boom like like my sermon was interrupted and it was was short because these people were so eager to hear and so longing to hear the message from the lord that they believed and that of course is a great application for us today right do you believe are you embracing this message of jesus the Messiah, which, by the way, think about it, has come to the Gentiles. Apart from this day, it would not come to Rock Valley Bible Church. The message of the gospel would not come to us. But this is the door that opened for the floodgates for us. Today they said we ought to celebrate a day when freedom is proclaimed to the Gentiles, where the Gentiles first heard it and first embraced it. It was promised in the Abrahamic Covenant is purchased at the cross of Christ. But here on this day, when Peter visited the home of Cornelius, it was proclaimed by Peter. I think about us at church, right? We celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. We celebrate Easter with the death and resurrection of Jesus, and rightly so. Churches across the world, um, Ryan has tried to bring us in on this a little bit more, uh, celebrate Ascension Sunday. 10 days after, 40 days, 50 days after, 40 days after the resurrection when Jesus ascends to heaven. Churches across the world celebrate that day, 40 days after Easter. And then Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter, the day when, when uh, the Holy Spirit came. It's just like a, a remembrance of the things of history back there, uh, back that, that took place in the time of the Bible times. I mean, church calendar looks and, and, uh, and celebrates those times. But I don't know of any church celebrating Gentile Day. Do you? I kind of looked, I kind of Googled, asked Mr. Google, I said, Gentile day, right, the Cornelius, uh, I don't know of any Gentile day, right, the day when it was clearly proclaimed the Gentiles are welcome into God's kingdom on the basis of faith and not race, that anyone from any tribe or tongue or nation is welcome throughout the kingdom of God, so maybe longest day of the year would be a great day for the worldwide church of Christ to worship right to honor Gentile day this parallels Juneteenth exactly I think many times we forget how wonderful this day is like this day of significance to us that the the gospel even comes to us here in Gentile Rockford loves Park Illinois we forget the significance but you know what those those freed slaves in Galveston Texas never forgot the significance of that day General Granger came and proclaimed freedom to them on June 19th, 1865. They've been celebrating it every year ever since. And now the new federal holiday, it's going to be celebrated for years to come. That day when freedom was announced and brought in with some authority. And, and I just say this, would the church remember Gentile Day? That day when Gentiles were proclaimed to be part of God's kingdom and free that we are, are fellow members and fellow partakers of the gospel of Christ. Such is the significance of this passage. It is worthy of having a, a Gentile day in the church calendar. We shall see. Let's pray. Father, I would pray that you would help us to understand just historically the significance of this and how Acts now is going to turn. And, and, and we're going to see missions-mindedness here. We're going to see Paul in Acts chapter 13, Saul and Barnabas going out, uh, bringing the gospel with uh, clarity to the Gentile world, entering synagogues, and then when the Jews reject the message, going to the Gentiles and seeing many Gentiles come to Christ, even preaching in places that are are totally secular, like, like Athens and Corinth, and even bringing the gospel to secular Rome. Father, and all hinged on this day, I, I pray that we might look back on this day and remember this day and rejoice in this day as the day that, that marked the turning point in salvation history. When, when the authority came from Jerusalem, Peter, and opened up to us the door wide open for the Gentiles, that now all of us, and, and it's so common that we, we forget, God, but that all of us Gentiles, can come into your kingdom by faith alone. We don't need to be Jewish. We don't need to follow all the ways of a law. We simply need to believe and trust in Jesus. And the freedom comes there, the, the freedom we can know of, of sins forgiven, uh, the freedom we know that the rest of our lives will be different, and eternity will be different as we, as we look toward our inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that's reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at last time. In that, O oh God, we do rejoice and help us this day to realize the historic significance of this day that we who believe should, should look back with joy on all that you've done, miraculously bringing it to pass. Thank you for that, and may our hearts forever rise in gratitude and love and joy to you for what you've accomplished to, to bring us, outsiders, foreigners, aliens, strangers, into your covenant through faith in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.